just felt compelled to worship and, and went down on his knees to worship and the angel was standing right in front of him. I'm not saying it was accidental, but, but you know what I mean? I mean, he, he just, have you had moments where you just felt compelled to worship? Um, it surprised you. So we had the northern lights a couple nights ago. Down here, clear down here. I didn't see him in it with my own eyes. I took one look out the window and I was like, I can't see him, I'm going to bed. <laughs> but, um, I mean, there's, there's different times in life or in worship on a Sunday morning or in your car or whatever. There's times when, when you feel compelled to just stop, drop everything and worship. And I feel like that's what happened to John and, uh, in those moments. But the angel corrected him each time. He said, don't be doing that. I'm a fellow servant. Make sure you worship God. So let's pick it up, verse 7. Chapter 22, verse 7. Just kind of get back in the flow here. Because this is Jesus. Uh, rather, I don't know if a suddenly, but yeah, kind of suddenly makes a declaration because the angel has finished giving John this tour of the new, new Jerusalem, heaven, that's come down to earth. He's finished the tour, and then Jesus gives this summary statement to the tour. Verse 7, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. And then, it's, then John writes, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers the prophets and of all who keep the words of this book, worship God. Okay, verse 10. Then he told me, so the angel still speaking to him, then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Because why? Because the time is near. Now, interesting. So, I mean, most of our Bibles, it probably says, uses the word book, but um, technically, literally, more accurately, what would he be sealing up? Not a book. A scroll, okay? So I learned some stuff about this. So official documents like the king, if the king is making a new law or is making some declaration, his secretary, the king's secretary, would write it out word for word, right? And they'd do like we do in council meetings, other meetings. They would check and make sure it was, it was perfect word for word. And then the king would, they'd roll up the, see, the, the, prof, the, the scroll, roll it up, and then the king would affix his seal to it. The secretary would affix his seal to it. You might have a couple other cabinet members. You'd have a bunch of seals on there. And, that's, and those seals would declare this is the original perfect document. Now, you'd make copies of it. You'd have official copies. But you'd have the official original, which, get, which gets puts in the where, the special king's original archive, the library, whatever you want to call it. So it would be sealed, closed up and sealed, and put in the library. And then you'd have the official working copy would be like in a room next to it, I suppose. But if anybody ever said, you know, 10 years later, they pull out the copy, uh, to look at the law and make sure they're doing it right. And somebody might say, I don't, I don't think this is right. I think there's an error here. I don't think, you know, whatever. We must consult the original. 
then they'd get permission from the king and they'd go back into the original library of the king room and they would bring the scroll out and they would check and all the seals are there, they're intact. This is the perfect original. Then they'd break the seals and open it and check the copy to make sure it's perfect. So all that background is kind of helpful here. So the angel tells John here, verse 10, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because what? Time is near. We need it. We need it ready at hand right now. We don't want to seal it and stick it away and lose track of it or whatever, you know, gather dust. It's it's for it's for near time. We want it to be able we want to be able to access it um, readily and handily. Now this is interesting because have there been other prophecies in, in Scripture, in Bible times, where God has said the opposite? Seal up this prophecy. Has God ever done that? Given a word to a prophet and then told him to seal it up? He has. It happened on two or three occasions in the book of Daniel. So we're going to go back to Daniel for a little bit and look at these incidents because... the. When, when we have this in Revelation 22, uh, God and John want us to go, ding, 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 this really rings a bell big time. Daniel, God told him to seal it up. So what's different, what's different about the situation here? So we're going to go back to Daniel chapter 8. So when you flip your Bibles back, uh, you find Isaiah, Jeremiah, those are really big prophet books right smack in the middle of your Bible. So it's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, because Jeremiah laments the destruction of Jerusalem. So that can help you remember the order. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and then Daniel. So it's an easy way to find Daniel quickly. So Daniel chapter 8. Let me get my act together here. Daniel chapter 8 is towards the end of that chapter. Verse 26. Interesting here. Everybody there? Chapter 8 and Daniel, verse 26. The vision of the evenings and mornings that has been given you is true, but do what? Seal up the vision. Why? For it concerns the distant future. We aren't going to need this one for a while. Seal it up. Kind of put it away for now. Because this one's it's going to be a long time before this one becomes current and, and needs to be studied in an in-depth current way. So because it's a distant future one, seal up this vision. Well, when what time, what calendar year was Daniel getting his visions and stuff? Of course, his whole lifetime, but what, what time frame was his lifetime? Huh? B.C. Yep, B.C. That narrows it down. It does. <laughs> when B.C.? 537. Yeah, 530s is when Jerusalem was destroyed and the uh, captives went to Babylon and Daniel went with them to Babylon. So that kind of helps nail down. So 530s and then going forward, B.C. 
So we're around, well, around 2,000 years later. So 2,500 years later. Um, I wonder if, if an angel stepped into our Bible study this morning, what might he tell us about the prophecies in Daniel now? I think he'd probably say, well, let's, let's open them up, let's have them, let's have them at hand because the time is near. So it's interesting. So 540-some, well, let's see, John writes around 80 or 90 A.D. So it'd be a little over 600 years later, God gives the revelation, the revelation to John and says, don't seal it up because the time is close. So interesting. Some 600 years in time passage. It's not the only thing going on, but... Um, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And there's another aspect of this I'm just curious about. Okay. There was a really big earthly. Um, series of historical events in Israel where a king acted an, an awful lot like the Antichrist. He claimed to be God. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. He gave himself that name. Epiphanes meaning the most glorious. I am the most glorious God. Um, and so I'm curious, and Antiochus was B.C. He was after these Daniel prophecies I should have his time frame nailed down. I want to say something like 150 B.C. Anybody got internet? They can look up uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, when he lived and ruled. But he was, Antiochus was after Daniel and before Jesus. I can narrow it down that far for you. So it, uh, one thing that thought that popped into my head was if God didn't tell Daniel this is for the distant future, some people, and there are a lot of Bible scholars who, who fall into this, I call it error, uh, some people would say, oh, these Daniel prophecies were just about Antiochus. 175. 175, okay, thank you. 175 B.C. for Antiochus. So a lot of people would have been tempted to say, oh, well, Antiochus Epiphanes, that's what Daniel's prophecies were about. They were about, about Antiochus. Because he, he went into the temple, he desecrated the altar, he, he had him kill a pig and um, slaughter a pig and put it on the altar. You know, did everything possible to just make the, the Jews, uh, you know, to desecrate the temple of the God of Israel, the true God. So there, there are an awful lot of direct fulfillments and, sim and uh, very close similarities to the Antichrist and what he's going to do. So I kind of wonder if the Lord is telling Daniel, uh, this stuff is far distant. So when Antiochus comes along here in about 400 years, don't all get freaked out and think that this has all been fulfilled and it's done. You don't need to worry about the stuff. I want you to know that the perfect fulfillment of this is distant. It's on the other side of Antiochus. Okay, so that's, 
I'm, I'm really fascinated by that possibility. Because there are some things about Antiochus that are not perfect fulfillment. Um, the seven years, the, the um, seven-year treaty of peace and stuff, that, that didn't happen. Um, he didn't demand that everybody worship him as God and, and do a program of persecution on Jews. There weren't Christians yet because Jesus hadn't come yet. There's just a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't fit. But anyway, there's enough stuff that fits that even today, um, Bible teachers, hounds, or scholars who don't want to trust God's word to be prophetically true in the future, right? Um, they're saying that it was Antiochus. Don't worry about the rest of this stuff. Uh, they're wrong because they aren't taking the Bible literally and they aren't matching it up. If it's not all perfectly fulfilled, then is that God's prophesied event? No, it can't be. God's prophecies are perfect. They are perfectly fulfilled literally every single time. So, uh, but there's a lot of, isn't that kind of strange to say there's a lot of Bible scholars that don't really hold themselves to Scripture? To the true fulfillment of it? Yeah, so I don't know. What do you think about that? I know it's fresh and new for you guys, but seal up the vision for concerns of the distant future. He's not saying don't look at it, but he's, he's saying this stuff is way down the line and we will, we will dust it off and go deep when it gets closer. Yes, now John, God told him, don't seal it up. We're looking at Daniel. Oh, okay. Yes. From our perspective, yes. And that, so that's a really good point. So what, you know, four or five hundred years, seal it up, distant future. John, you tell him, go ahead and open it up, and for 2,000 years we're, we're sitting here. So that... To me, that makes the Antiochus thing even more likely. That God's saying, we got a guy coming here pretty soon. Um, he's going to trip you up if you think he's fulfilling the whole thing, because he's not. He's not the Antichrist. So we've got people now, every time somebody gets prominent on the world stage, what do they do? They go on YouTube and, he's the Antichrist! You know, Putin, he's the Antichrist! Well, that's not the way it's going to come down. Okay? And, um, yeah, so we got the chickens running around. <laughs> ah, the sky is falling. And uh, they've always been wrong so far. So we're not going to listen to them too carefully. Amen? Amen. So let's look at another verse here. This one's, uh, the, the interest here, to me, goes, gets deeper and more wonderful each time. So Daniel chapter 12, which is the last, it's the end of his book, his scroll. Daniel chapter 12. Verse 4. Angel again speaking <coughs> to Daniel. But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll, until the time of the end. Now there's a specific time 
when to open it. Interesting, right? So he says, right now, do what to the scroll? Close it up and seal it. But then, uh, for how long? Before he said, you know, distant future. Now what's he say? Until the time of the end. So there's a couple things there. That must mean that we're going to have a clue about the approaching time of the end. Make sense? So we're going to know to open this up and go deep and dig hard because we know that the time is approaching. Can we know that the time is approaching? For sure. Do uh, lots of Christians who have not been trained well in prophecy in the end times um, not get this? Because what do they always default to? Well, nobody can know the day, the time, or the hour, so what's the point of looking at it? Is, is that how God wants us to approach the topic? Well, you wouldn't be here in this study for three or four years if you thought differently, but that is not... God's instruction wasn't, you can't know the day or the time of the hour, so don't bother studying this. Good grief. The very first chapter of Revelation says, blessed is the one who studies this book. And at the end here, we're going to get again, blessed is the one who keeps this book to heart. So don't, don't let Christians in conversation with you use that line and, and try and blow it off. Because you know what? We aren't going to know the day on the calendar or the time on the clock. But those believers who are um, thorough Bible hounds, we're going to know that he's coming any day. And we're not going to be shocked when the trumpet blows and he appears in the clouds. We're not going to be shocked at all. We're going to be like, there he is. Okay? So, when well-meaning Christians throw that line at you, it gives you a clue. Wow. I'm working with somebody here who knows Zippo about the Bible. So, you know, be careful. Don't beat him over the head with a sledgehammer. Um, but let him know that why would God give us the book of Revelation? Why would he have it recorded for us in the Bible if we're just supposed to ignore it and not have a clue until Jesus shows up? That doesn't make any sense, people. So is Revelation basically what's in that scroll? Yeah, good question. So Kellen says, so God's telling Daniel to seal up this stuff until the end is what he's sealing up. We don't know what he sealed up, right? So is what he sealed up revelation? I think very probably an awful lot of it, if not the whole thing. Tons of detail. Because those scrolls are still Say again? They don't exist physical. Well, right. Maybe right, so... The stuff that Daniel wrote down that God said, seal up and don't let anybody... Yeah, those probably don't exist anymore. Physically. I never thought about that far, but yeah. So Daniel recorded for us and allowed to be copied what God said was okay, but there was stuff he said, this is not for public consumption. Why did he give it to him then if he told him to seal up portions of it? Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Yeah, we'll get there in a little bit. You're going ahead of me, man. <laughs> like a really good Bible student, always goes ahead of the teacher and says, but, yeah, but we aren't there yet. I haven't read it yet. <laughs> you know you're in a good Bible study when people are going ahead of the teacher and like, yeah, but this. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, so... I don't know for sure. Uh, why why it was revealed to Daniel, but then he was told to seal it up. Um, encourage us, a later reader, that there is more. Okay, that's good. For us later readers, we, we read that God said, distant future, um, seal this up. So that tells us, oh, there's more. And it's down the line, builds our anticipation, lets us know that there's more coming, right? So there's a number of things there. That's good. Um, I think Daniel was a big-time prayer warrior intercessor. So the Lord may have given it to him to put it in his intercessor's hopper to have him pray into it because he was a... His prayers are like with Paul. They're just deep and wonderful and powerful. Um... Another thing is we see Daniel's reaction to these prophecies, which were often almost kind of violent. He got sick. He went down on his sickbed for days after seeing these, these visions and stuff. So his reaction to what we don't get detail on should tell us this is really big, powerful stuff. So there's a number of reasons, uh, now that we flesh it out, why God would show it to him and then say, but this isn't for public consumption yet. Really interesting, right? So it, it also is, is, like what you're saying, in, in my mind, I have to sometimes speak it out, is that they have such a good relationship that there are, between God and Daniel, because of the prayers, that it was more of a conversation, mm -hmm. and God's, oh, by the way, you can't tell anybody this. Yeah. This is, this is a secret between you and I. Yeah. Because I cherish our relationship. Yeah. I right? That's the key is the relationship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be the end times where it's the relationship that will allow you to understand when they are open again. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. It's kind of like when he says, I'm coming soon. Well, that's operative. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's right. coming soon back then. You know, yeah. Mm -hmm. if you don't have the relationship, you're going to miss it. Yeah. And so <clears throat> I, want to, I want to be careful uh, and not make judgments or assume. So when a, when a Christian tells you we, aren't, we can't know the day, the time, and the hour, so I'm not going to pay any attention to it, I, I'm not, I can't make a judgment in that moment about their personal relationship with Christ. But it tells me that there's an aspect of their relationship with Christ that is completely dormant. And that the Lord wants to awaken and have be vibrant. Because Paul says Jesus is coming back for those who long for his appearing. Now they probably long for his appearing too. They just are checked out about when and how it's going to come about and stuff. But I'm concerned for, for Christians in that position. Because if you don't know what's coming and you don't care to learn what's coming, then you're going to be caught by surprise. It's going to be... You know, like Daniel, only not, not just a vision, it's going to be real life 
up close and personal all of a sudden, and you won't be prepared. So your faith in that situation, your faith better be super el strongo in other, other areas to be able to take on that onslaught. Um, God gave us this detail in Revelation, Matthew 24, and other places so we would be ready and prepared for the hard times. And, um, you know, in Egypt, they were going to have seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. What if God hadn't prepared them for that, hadn't told them that was coming, and they hadn't prepared? What would have happened to Egypt in that whole area of the world if they hadn't known that seven years of famine were coming? Nobody would have survived. The only people who would have survived would have been the people who somewhere along the way had enough physicality left to put on a backpack and ride their dying, dying donkey hundreds of miles away to where the famine wasn't happening. But it was a huge area. So, so you know, it's an analogy, but God's saying really, really big stuff is coming and you need to be prepared for it. Um, I love Jan Markell. How many, how many get her newsletter, listen to her stuff now and then? She's like the end times hound in America. She has radio stations and um, I get her newsletter. Um, awesome end time stuff. She has lots of really on top of it people, pastors and stuff. Uh, excellent focus and stuff. She's hardcore completely wrong in my book about when Jesus is coming. She believes any second now. And she keeps on saying, um, keeps on putting in newsletters, you know, the church, the believers aren't going to be here for this, aren't going to be here for that. And I'm going, yes, we are, Jan. So I really pray that she's not accidentally setting Christians up for difficulty. She's doing a super job telling people it's coming, the end is coming, and it's near. But um, I'm concerned about the He's taking us out of here any second and we're not going to be here for the, the hard stuff. I'm going. It's harder in America now to be a Christian, but this is nothing. We still got cush time. You want to talk about hard life being a Christian? Oh, well, it's, we'll drop you in a parachute into North Korea. See how you do. China's getting tougher. Um, all kinds of stuff. So we just have a different messed up, cushy perspective in America. So, anyway, you've heard that for three or four years now, so you're like, yes, Pastor Joe, we've heard it. <laughs> okay, so back to Daniel 12.4. We'll get to the sentence that Kellen so wondrously tried to lead us into helpfully. So verse 4, But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. I've heard a lot of interpretations and stuff on this, and, and some of them are pretty wacky. Some of them are like, oh, this is referring to uh, airplanes age, you know, and people crisscrossing the earth, and it's about trans all kinds of, and I'm like, whoa. So the, the phrasing here literally means um, like, like kids out in the yard running back and forth. Um, is one literal way to look at it. Uh, and to increase knowledge, I think the simplest 
way to understand it in the context is at the time of the end, there's going to be a lot of activity going deep in the Word of God and growing in knowledge because some of the prophecies 2,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, some of the prophecies are like, well, what is, how is that going to work? What's that going to look like? What are you talking about? But then as the time grows near, the fog begins to lift. The events actually begin to fall into place physically, historically, and we start going, oh, now, now I'm understanding, and, and stuff starts falling together. So knowledge increases about God's prophetic word. And um, I believe, I'm excited that we're living in the time when this is true. It's happening now. So many will go here and there to increase knowledge. I don't think we need planes for that to be the case. Um, all kinds of wonderful, wacky interpretations, but uh, knowledge is increasing. Okay, then go down to verse 8 as we finish out the book of Daniel. Chapter 12, verse 8, I heard, but I did not understand. This is uh, Daniel speaking. He says, I, I heard what the angel was saying, but I was like, I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. So I asked my Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? So God has shown Daniel, not the whole thing of revelation that John got, but he's shown him specific moments in full color. And Daniel's been like, whoa! And one of the things God showed Daniel was a lot of followers of God being martyred. That was one of the things that made him sick and overwhelmed, right? And we could go back to look at those passages. I've shown them to you in the past before. It, it's, it, it's really strong in Daniel. So in verse 8, it says, uh, My Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? What's going to be the end result? Right? Because we can see the worst of times. You can see the worst of World War II and say, Oh, wow, how, how, is, how is the world ever going to recover from this? Did we recover? Yeah, it took time, so forth. But so he says, what's the outcome going to be? So verse 9, the angel replies, Go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. The exact same thing he told him in verse 4. They're closed up. The, the thing, some of the things that have been shown to you, Daniel, some of those things are not going to be revealed to God's children until later at the end of time. And sealed until the time of the end. Verse 10, many will be purified made spotless and refined. So what's one of the focal points? What's the will of God with difficult end times experience for his people? What's God want to accomplish in us? Purification. Um, a faith that matters to the point of life and death. A faith that says none of the rest of this stuff matters as much as my Lord Jesus, including my life. He, he's the one. Everything belongs to him, including my life. So there's a purification that comes with that. And um, I think the body of Christ in America right now is pretty much doing the three-year-old thing, which is, oh, it's getting harder. <laughs> it's getting harder. Stop it. God, make it easier again. I think that's in general what we're doing. And God's going, seriously? I need you to grow up, mature into Christ, and get ready for difficult times. I need to be ready to give your life for me. So, uh, 
I'm trying to grow through the whiny, complaining stage myself. Yeah, the the old NIV says purified. But it says purified, refined. Right. Yep, and refine it. So that's a process, and referring to the process, uh, old-fashioned, but still used today, of how you purify silver or gold. You dig it out of the ground, it's full of impurities and dirt and junk. So how do you, how do you clean that up? You have to get rid of it. If you had a lighter, you, you, you put it to flame, and you bring it up to temp, you melt it, you bring it up to a certain temp where the metal melts, the impurities in it burn up and are gone. And with silver, you do that how many times? It's really interesting. Seven times you do that with silver, and then you got pure silver. And interesting, that's not five or eight or three or two or whatever. It's seven times till you get silver perfectly clean, purified. So that purified, purged, refined to purge means to wash out or burn out the impurities. That's what one of God's big purposes with the difficulties in the end times is to present to himself a pure, spotless, wrinkle-free bride. We got some cleaning up to do. Yeah? Okay, so... um, Verse 9, Go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Many, And when that, at the time of the end, many will be purified, made spotless and refined... But the wicked will continue to be wicked. Interesting, right? And how many times have we noted in Revelation, God does all this stuff, this over-the-top stuff to reach people, to warn them, to tell them the good news, the gospel, to tell them to repent. In in Revelation, do we see um, worldwide repentance, nationwide repentance? We don't see repentance in the book. And it covers years. Now, that doesn't mean personal repentance never happens in the end times. We're not saying that. But nowhere does uh, the end times revelation and end times prophecies, uh, Matthew 24, Daniel, anywhere, nowhere do we see wholesale repentance. Sure. Now, this is interesting because there's a strong and growing element in the body of Christ, again, especially in America, where a a relatively new theology is really taking hold. And what is it all about? It's called victorious eschatology. And it's all about this idea that um, Holy Holy Spirit outpouring is coming. And more and more people and countries are going to experience revival and awakening. It's going to sweep the planet. Um, On fire, spirit-filled Christians are going to get elected to high offices. They're going to be CEOs of the big companies. The whole world is going to become this glorious place of Christ and the Holy Spirit activity. And then Jesus will come. Folks, this is really coming on strong in American churches. Um, and just just to be up front, it's just a reality, mostly in charismatic, Pentecostal, 
focused on the end times venues. Because churches that aren't paying attention to the end times, they're not going to get into that kind of stuff, right? But churches that do pay attention to the end times and maybe got tired of telling people, it's going to be hard, it's going to be hard, and maybe got tired of that. But um, this is an aberration. The idea is about 150 years old, but it's really taken on steam now, and it's a mess. Yeah, the, the pressure with this idea, I don't know if pressure is the right word. To me, it comes across that way sometimes. The pressure is, you know, if you and your church were spirit-filled enough and on board with this idea enough, then it would happen faster, which is also Pharisee. It, it, that's works-based, right? If you guys would get your act together faster, then Jesus would come. So Jesus coming depends on who? Depends on me? No, I, I thought it depended on God and his timing and his plan and purposes and his will. So things get, get flipped around. And um, so what does it say clearly here? And we're going to see it happen. It, it's going to say exact same thing in Revelation. What does it say here? The wicked will continue to be wicked. Do we see in these direct prophecies about the end times, prophecy of worldwide repentance and revival and renewal I don't see it now there's some interpretations the latter rain and stuff that's a wonderful prophecy in scripture it's not black and white clear that it's talking about a worldwide revival um, so we, we got to have the whole counsel of God's word and be careful to hold all of it together and not just blindly ignore the hard part and go, yay, let her rain, da-da-da-da, and go run with that and ignore portions like this. The wicked are going to continue to be wicked. I don't know how you can read the paper the last, well, the last, what, two years and uh, be all excited about victorious eschatology. Do you listen to the news? Do you see what's happening in the world? Are you paying attention? So many will be purified, made spotless, and refined. That's on the God working on people's hearts who are believers and following Jesus' side. On the other side, the wicked are going to continue to be wicked. And it says, none of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. So the wicked, they aren't going to get it. Um, we can talk to we're blue in the face. Um, many are sold out. Uh, I just picked up, I just came across a preacher, a uh, little blurb on YouTube the other night, and it blew me away. Um, New Testament, Jesus, over and over and over, when he describes hell, he says, in that place there will be two, two things in his description. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I've never stopped to slow down and really consider those two things. And this preacher did, praise the Lord. He's like, well... In hell, there's going to be basically two responses to being in hell. One's going to be weeping. Remorse over, I missed it, I blew it, so-and-so told me, and I walked away. So-and-so told me, and I said later. They're going, to, they're going to weep over missed opportunities to get right with God, to believe in Jesus. So some are going to be weeping for eternity. Then there's going to be another group. 
gnashing teeth. There's going to be another group who are mad and angry and hating God for all eternity. Ooh, I can't believe you did this to me. And I was like, wow. I never pondered two basic responses to being in hell. Weeping over the missed opportunity or just stinking mad and hating God forever. So here Daniel said, the angel says to Daniel, none of the wicked will understand. Um, in my mind, those are mostly the people that are raging at God right now. They, they can't understand. You can't understand spiritual things unless you have the Holy Spirit as your Lord and Savior and teacher. So if you're going like this, you can't understand spiritual things. And I could go off on this, but so when our governor signs a bill and says he's making our state a place of safety and protection for trans children, I'm going, you don't get it, and you're full of wickedness and evil, and you just made our state a place where children are not safe. The opposite of what you think you're doing. You just made our state a place that's not safe for children. Way to go. But um, he don't get it. He's not, he's not a believer. He's not in the word. He doesn't understand the truth. And this is where that leads you. So come Lord Jesus. Let's pray. God, what an amazing time for us to be alive. Uh, we're in the times that you told Daniel... Eh, this stuff can wait until we get closer to the end. Well, we're here. Uh, so, God, thank you so much for giving more detail through Revelation, through Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. All these things, God, here's our heart's cry. Help us to grow in faith, in strong faith, um, so that we can stand for Christ Jesus, even to the point of, if need be, giving our lives for you, Lord. And... Um, God, until, until that trumpet blows, help us to continue to love people, share Christ with them, give them opportunities. Uh, because there's going to be people who get saved, who say yes right up until the moment that trumpet blows. And we don't want to miss opportunities for people to get on board. Thank you for filling up the train to heaven in Jesus' name. Amen.